As we've noted multiple times already today, this certainly is Mother's Day. It is good and proper for us to honor mothers. It's great to honor those whom God has called to this position. Motherhood is something that that brings great joy to lives, but also carries an enormous amount of responsibility and often even heartbreak. Motherhood is not an easy task. It requires sacrifice, and there's no guarantee that even after extensive sacrifice, what the outcome might be. There might just be pain and sorrow at the end. It requires commitment. There's joy, there's sorrow, and both probably, in in most mothers' cases, to varying degrees. The, The word that I think would summarize everything that a woman goes through in the role of motherhood is devotion. Devotion that is undertaken because of love. From, from those long nights of feeding every few hours to, to holding every skin knee and then a little bit later in life every broken heart and washing endless loads of laundry and cooking countless meals and watching every performance at school and every sports game that ever comes around. Motherhood requires enormous devotion. We, we honor mothers. Rightly, because we recognize that, that their devotion is, is a result of this great love that they have for their children. Uh, a mother's devoted love is praiseworthy. Yet, yet this morning, what we're going to find as we look into God's word is that all of us are called to a similar level of devoted love. This happens to be the third sermon in the series that I began a few weeks back here on Developing Genuine Love. We're following, as many of you that have been with us know, Paul's outline in Romans chapter 12, the second half of chapter 12, where Paul gives us various characteristics of what is required to exist for there to be genuine love, the love that's the real thing. So far in our series, we've looked at Paul's generic header, if you want to call it that, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, where he says, love without hypocrisy. This is what genuine love is, love without hypocrisy. And we understood that, that Paul's goal in this listing that gives us to, to develop within us these characteristics so that what we have is the real thing, that we're showing genuine Christian love. We also looked last week on the first item in the, of the list, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Uh, I joked that it was good then God's providence, we didn't land on that characteristic on Mother's Day. Abhor what is evil, it's Mother's Day. God was gracious, and he let us come to a different characteristic on Mother's Day. But we, last week we looked at genuine love is re, we, requires that we have this strong, decisive hatred toward that which does not conform to God's character, while at the same time we grasp and cling with a fervent zeal to that which conforms to God's character. Those things are required for genuine love. We need to have active godliness rather than apathetic godliness for our love to be genuine. As we move on and we consider other traits, we need to remember that genuine love has to display all the traits. We, we can't pick and choose. The moment we pick and choose some of the traits and ignore others, our love is no longer genuine. This week, we are going to look at the second characteristic that Paul gives in his list. It's found in the first part of verse 10. 
Paul gives us there in the New American Standard, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. As I said, it's providential we hit this on Mother's Day because mother is so often the, the, the epitomization of what devotion looks like when love is applied. It's a trait that we honor mothers for. As I've already indicated, this requirement, though, is not isolated to mothers. Paul is talking about what we need to have as believers, what Christian love looks like, genuine love that reflects our Savior. Mothers may epitomize devoted love, but it's a trait we are all to display because we are all to genuinely love others as believers. The, the point Paul makes is clear in this short text that we're looking at this morning. The point he makes is that genuine love requires a family-style devotion. A family-style devotion. That's what is required. As we think about genuine love for a short time this morning, this devoted love that's required, I want us to consider three observations that, that we can make along the way here. Three observations that shows us genuine love requires family-style devotion. First, let's, let's realize that, that family is naturally devoted to each other. Let's just observe that, that fact. Family is naturally devoted. The, the New American Standard has translated that first part, as I said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The, the word that, that we have translated there, brotherly love, is a familiar word. In fact, I would dare say this is one of the few Greek words that all of you know. You, you probably didn't even know you know Greek, but you know this Greek word. It's the word Philadelphia. A very familiar word, of course, because we have a very large city in our country that's known by that word, the city of brotherly love. That's the meaning of the word. This word Philadelphia describes this natural affection that exists between family members, that, that we naturally have this love. Mothers naturally love their children. Fathers do as well. Husbands and wives are expected to have a love for one another because there's this entwining of lives that, that will result in a showing of affection to each other. Siblings have an innate affection for each other. They may fight and argue like all day, but if one is threatened by someone who's outside the family circle, it's amazing how fast their devotion to one another rises. We understand this, don't we? What I'm talking about, we all comprehend. Take mothers as an example. It's natural for mothers to have a devotion toward their children. God designed women to love the children that they bear. Certainly, we, we know of instances where, where mothers fail in this regard, where, where they fail to show love to their children. But that's abnormal. We know when we see that, that this is an indication of the brokenness of our world where sin has corrupted what God has designed. God designs mothers to love their children. Our sin-filled world displays... A brokenness when, when that is absent. The, this brokenness has been on, on great display this past week. It's fully displayed in this raging battle over the abortion that, that has just consumed the news cycles in the past week. Frankly, it's one of the greatest displays of depravity in our nation that, that this large battle even exists. 
It's a sign of how far sin has encroached into the American church that, that we have professing believers in our country that are the least bit confused, if not even sometimes arguing on the pro-abortion side. Let me just be clear. For Christians, there can be no debate. The life of every child is precious. And life begins at conception. It's worthy of protection. It's worthy of devoted love. There is no magical moment that somewhere between conception and birth, or if they keep going, it will be after birth. There's no magical moment where personhood's bestowed. It starts the moment God imparts life at conception. I'm not going to chase this issue this morning, but I am going to encourage us to pray. Pray fervently that, that the Supreme Court does move forward with their decision. That they overturn these past rules, that are these past rulings that have allowed blood to flow throughout our country as unborn children have been slaughtered for far too long. Pray. My point, though, as it pertains to our text, is that we know it is natural for families to show devotion to each other. It's natural, mothers and fathers to children. Brothers and to sisters, sisters to sisters, brothers and sisters to each other. It's even cousins. It's natural to show that affection, that brotherly love. I'll give you an example. Last spring when my father was, was burned, none of you thought it was strange when I left and went to Minnesota to visit him in the burn center. When my mother passed away last summer, again, none of you thought it was strange for me to travel to North Dakota to be with my father and my brother for the funeral. It didn't seem strange at all that Grace and Katie and I went, even though we had been there, if I remember right, two weeks before for a regular scheduled vacation. You didn't think it at all strange that we went back. You expected such actions because these are the kinds of things that are the natural outcomes of the devotion that families have toward each other. It's natural. Family is naturally devoted to each other. That's this concept of Philadelphia, this concept of brotherly love, this, this word. It simply gives a name to that which is natural, that we expect to observe when we see it. It's just normal. It's what's readily observed in, in most families. Family is naturally devoted to each other. That, that's the first simple observation I want to make this morning. As a second observation, let's note as well that then that from what we see here in our text, we are to view one another as family. We are to view one another as family. We, we of course, realize, I, I, I'm, I'm sure we all realize that Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love that, that we have here nearby, is not populated with a large family unit. The, the people living in that city are not all brothers and sisters. They're, they're not even extended cousins. That's not what the idea is when they call it the, fam, or the, the city of brotherly love. That, rather, the idea is that this, this natural family-style devotion that we expect to see between brothers is the ideal for the city. Even though the city falls short of the ideal, we, we've seen riots and such in the city where there's far, far, far away from showing devotion to each other and love, that doesn't diminish the standard. 
The standard remains the same. Treating each other as family remains the stated desired goal. That's the ideal for the city. Well, Paul says genuine love requires that we shoot for that kind of a goal in our relationships. In our relationships with one another, the ideal is brotherly love with one another. The devoted is a good way to translate the word that Paul uses in our text at the beginning of, of it here. It, it's a good word, yet it fails to display that Paul is highlighting this, this family type of ideal. Paul uses a word in verse 10 that, that shares the same root, the same brotherly love root word as the word Philadelphia. It, actually, the only time we find this word in the New Testament is in this point. Paul is, is highlighting this, this connection of brotherly love. A, a, literal, a literal translation, if we were to, to just bring it forward, would look something like, be brotherly loving toward one another in brotherly love. He, he writes in that kind of circular language here. I'm not sure that translation would help us catch the, the punch very well. So something along the lines of be devoted probably catches the punch better. But, but he's echoing this idea of brotherly love. We are to be brotherly loving toward each other. Just a brief tangent, since we're reading from the King James Version this, this month in our scripture reading. For those of you that are visitors, we're reading from different versions throughout the the, the month says, God has given us so many great English translations. This month we're reading in King James. I'll mention that the King James Version actually does a really good job reflecting this family type of idea in its translation. Although, I would guess every person sitting here that has a King James Version is missing it. The, the King James Version says, Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love. And the reason I say I bet you're missing it because I didn't know this week, and I'm guessing most of you didn't, don't know it either, that the word kindly, that, that word kindly that the King James translators used, it meant, at the time King James was translated, it meant a family type of affection. It meant a natural affection. The, the word kindly in the 1600s was built on the word kin. It's the kin way of behaving toward each other. Well, word kind has lost that family connection over the years. Like I said, I didn't know that. And if any of you knew that, you can tell me afterwards that, that you're the, the person here that knew that kindly means a family-style connection. But when the King James was translated, that meaning was there. So they did a good job reflecting this idea that, that Paul's connecting to brotherly love. We are to behave in a, a, a kindly way, a kinly way toward one another in, in kindly love, in brotherly love. What Paul is clearly indicating is that we are to view each other as family. Within the church, when we see one another, we are to think of each other as family. Paul makes a similar point in 1 Thessalonians 4.9 where we have this noun brotherly love translated as love of the brethren. Likewise, the author of Hebrews in, in Hebrews 13.1 gives us this brotherly love idea. And, and Peter does the same in 1 Peter 1.22 and in 2 Peter 1.7. The, the New Testament multiple times uses this love of the brethren as the idea that this is how the church is to function. 
It's made repeatedly in the New Testament. Christians are to look at each other as family. We are to think of ourselves as a family unit. We share kinship with each other. We are to think of each other as brothers or sisters. Now, for most of us, this is probably a familiar idea. We've, for generations now within the church, have referred to each other as brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. It's a familiar idea to us, but that was not the case when Paul wrote this down in Romans. When the, the apostles were writing the New Testament, that was not a familiar idea. In, in fact, it appears that the idea of a group viewing one another as family when they were not connected by blood, they were not blood relatives, it appears that this was unique to Christians. The idea of brotherly love being used to describe non-family relationships has not been found in any group during or before the New Testament time frame. Christians had to pop on the scene for this idea that a group could be united with one another and have a family-style relationship. In that day and age, family was important. Family was everything. The family unit was central. And to have a group pop on the scene that says, we're going to look at each other that way, that was unique. But when the church burst on the scene, they shook the world with that idea. Of course, partly we do understand Christians are united by blood. It's the blood of Christ that unites us. We're united by the fact that our Savior shed his blood so that we can have the forgiveness of our sins. That's what binds us together. We know that we're sinners who deserve an eternity in hell. That is what we deserve because we have shaken our fist in in rebellion against our God, a holy God. And that holy God must punish rebels. But then our holy God is also a loving God. And he sent his son to die in our place. He shed his blood so that our sins could have a way of being forgiven. Jesus Christ came and died. He gave his blood. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, his blood is applied to us. His sacrifice. God's wrath is poured out on his own son instead of being poured on on us. We say mothers epitomize devoted love. Christ idealizes devoted love. And we now, through faith, are united to one another because we have his blood in common. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as Savior, talk to me. Send me an email. Contact me after the service. Let me share with you how you can know that your sins are forgiven, that Christ died for you. We are united by blood. And for that reason, we are to view one another as family. We're to view one another as families because we're united by Christ who then transforms us. We start looking like our family. We're transformed into the image of Christ. We're to view one another as family because we're united by by Christ's eternal promises. We're to view one another as families because in Christ, we are a family. 
We are a spiritual family. We, we are a family that will endure together throughout all eternity. I want us also to notice that, that when Paul writes this characteristic of genuine love, he writes that we are to be devoted to one another. One another. That one another is a reciprocal idea. Believers are to show this brotherly type of affection to each other. So let's get personal. You are to show this brotherly type affection to the people sitting around you. Sure, it's intended to be a reciprocal idea. It's it's intended to be reciprocal, so you should receive devotion from others, but you are only responsible for yourself. You're only responsible for showing devotion. That's the side of the equation. The the, the be devoted part, that's your responsibility. There's nothing here when you look at this command. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's nothing here that says you have particularly like the person sitting next to you. You know, sometimes the person sitting next to you may be irritating. Just like that little brother or sister. They know exactly how to get under the skin and poke right where, where it itches most. Because the person sitting beside you this morning, that person is still a sinner. And that person will sin against you. He or she will at times sin, and, and it will make it difficult to feel affection toward them. But the thing we're seeing as we begin developing this list of genuine love, is genuine love does not depend on feelings. It's not about feelings at all. It's about the fact that we are family. We are family because of Christ. And as long as the person sitting next to you or, or near you or even on the other side of the auditorium from you, as long as that person shares faith in Jesus Christ with you, that person is family. They are a sinner saved by grace, just like you. And for that reason and that reason alone, you are to show brotherly affection, a loving devotion to that person. The only thing that matters is the blood that you share. That's it. You share the blood of Christ, and that makes that person, no matter how irritating you might think in your head that person is, if they share blood of Christ, that person is your one another. And you are to be devoted to one another. The world around us tells us through all kinds of messages. The, the, the messaging that we get through our world is, is endless. And it tells us over and over that we are to devote ourselves to people who can return the favor. We should devote our interest into people who can benefit us in some fashion. We should spend our time and energy on, on people who help us reach our goals. That's not what our text says. Our text says that we are to spend our time and energy on anyone and everyone that our Savior draws into the family. The family of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's where we are to pour out our energy of devoted love. We're to view one another as family. That's the second observation to make this morning. Genuine love requires a family-style devotion 
That's the obvious point from our text. Genuine love requires a family-style devotion while we're to view one another as family. The, the third observation that I want to make simply is that devotion is clearly seen in hard times. It's clearly seen in hard times. I, I mentioned a couple minutes ago that the King James Version translates our phrase, be kindly affectioned one to another. The problem in today's language is if that translation fails to convey the energy that we're to put into to this familial type of, of devotion, this familiar type of love as, as a family. That, that's why most of our English versions now, the modern English versions, they, they use a translation along the lines of be devoted because devoted carries that punch. There, there's, there's effort involved in devotion. Families remain devoted to each other through thick and thin. It doesn't regard to, to the circumstances. Devotion is there. There are times when devotion is easy to show. But there are other times, the hard times, when remaining devoted becomes hard. It, it becomes painful. And yet that is when devotion is seen most clearly. This... Just this past week, I've witnessed multiple examples of devotion among the people in this congregation. There, there have been times when friends have rejoiced with each other over good news. The, the easy times to, to show devotion. For example, you may have noticed in your electronic bulletin, if you looked at your electronic bulletin when it came out yesterday, you may have noticed that we have an upcoming baptism in a few weeks. At minimum, we expect or anticipate having a couple of our children baptized in this coming baptism. When, when our children are baptized, it's a joyful time as we know God has done a great work. And, and this week when certain church members heard uh, of these two children there intending to, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, certain church members rejoiced. They rejoice because these are people within our church who have devoted their time and energy to the spiritual development of our children. And for that reason, they shared in the joy with, with the immediate family members, with the, the mothers and fathers, because they rejoice that these children are intending to take this spiritual step. So I've witnessed that this week. That's the easy times to be devoted more striking, though, this week, I've observed people hurting and crying with members, going through extremely difficult times. Several of our church family have faced very hard times in, in recent weeks. And I've watched as people have come alongside and, and offered strength and encouragement, helped bear that, that difficult burden together. When our church members have felt most empty, others have come alongside, tears have been shed. Meals have been shared, prayers have been offered, burdens have been borne, sorrows have been felt, and love has been displayed. Showing that this brotherly love to others when it's painful, that's what genuine love requires. Yes, we're to do that when it's joyful, but the test really comes when it's painful. When, when it hurts, when it takes something out of us, when, when it causes us to hurt, 
When, when we're losing sleep praying for one another of our church members at night, when we're sacrificing time to sit with them, counseling and encouraging, when we're investing so much of ourselves that, that we risk emotional vulnerability, this is when devotion shows itself. Devotion shows when it's hard much more clearly than when it's easy. Remember the idea from the first week. If you go back to that first week and we were talking about love without hypocrisy, we mentioned that the reason this is required, why we must have genuine love, is because genuine love shows a genuine Christ. A genuine Christ is our goal. Our world needs a genuine Christ. They don't need the the fictitious Christ that's offered in so many places. They need the genuine Christ that's found in Scripture alone. A genuine love shows a genuine Christ. Devotion to one another. It set the early church apart. It caused the, the culture to come up with these terms to describe what was going on. It was so unique that they had this create the terms here, a brotherly love. How are you doing showing that kind of devotion? As I said, I've observed examples of it this week throughout our congregation, but let's make it personal. How are you doing? Are you showing that love? Are you devoted? Are you spending the energy, the time, the money, the emotion on the people here this morning? Not on the people you happen to like or feel an affinity toward, but on the people Christ has connected you to that need your devoted love. Are you risking pain because your brother or sister in Christ needs your love? Are you willing to hurt because devoted love demands pain at times? Devotion to the family of God can be hard. It can be difficult. It it can be painful, but it is what we are called to do. Genuine love requires this family-style devotion. It's when the hard times come that our devotion shines most clearly. Genuine love requires family-style devotion. It's clearly seen in the hard times. Mother's Day, that's the day when we typically think of This kind of devotion, a devoted love, because mothers epitomize that so often. A mother's love for her child normally displays complete devotion. A mother will lay down her life for her child if necessary. Yet, as we've seen this morning, we're all expected to show that kind of devotion to one another. Genuine love requires family-style devotion. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's what Paul writes of the second characteristic of genuine love. This morning, we've simply made three observations, very simple observations. One family is naturally devoted to to one another. The world understands that. Two, we are to view each other as family. And then three, devotion clearly is seen when it's hard, when hard times come. Today, if if the Lord gives you an opportunity, I encourage you, please go hug your mother. Tell your mother that you love her. 
She, she likely has shown you great devotion throughout your life. And yet, even as you do that today, remember, she is to be a picture, at best, of what you are to show to your brothers and sisters in Christ. For those of you who do not have an opportunity to, to hug or talk to your mother day, remember that you are surrounded by a family this morning. You're still surrounded by family. This is your family in Christ. You're to show devotion to these people, and you can rejoice that these are people you're united to in Christ. Genuine love requires a family-style devotion. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to be able to have brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to say we have a family, a family that you've called us to, to be devoted toward, and we pray today that you would enable us to do that which you've called us to be, that we would rejoice in the privilege of serving Christ by showing devoted love to one another. Father, I pray that our church would display that in resounding ways, ways that would shake our community, that would shake our world much as the early church did, and that as we do so, Christ would be magnified. It's in his name we pray. Amen.